1: Welcome to the Mother of All Shows, the podcast that takes a deep dive into motherhood and parenting with a comedic twist. Because if we can't laugh at wearing a full hazmat suit to stock up on non existent toilet paper, then we're all screwed. I'm your host, Kimmy Gatewood. I'm currently sheltering in place with my five year old daughter and husband. Our day begins with the strictly enforced task of getting dressed and ends with guzzling an obscene amount of wine. But in between, we laugh, we cry, we pretend we're homeschooling. We're so bored. This is a special quarantine episode of Mother of All Shows. We are back because I wanted to join in the conversation of how parents are dealing with this strange time. Two weeks ago, we were packing lunches and swearing off screen time for the kids. And today, we're substitute teachers who are fighting over toilet paper while our kids watch their seventh hour of a superdogs documentary. We are going to be bringing episodes in the coming weeks that break down all the ways we are parents, moms, and society dealing with this new normal. From the run on toilet paper, financial insecurity, to homeschooling. We are in this together, and I wanted to cut through the BS, get straight to the source, and laugh a little. For today's show, I don't know about you, but the noise of news and social media posts have been mudding up the facts and creating more anxiety. I wanted to find some facts about the coronavirus, like my mom loves her Chardonnay, bone dry and no political spin. I also wanted to know how doctors were dealing with it. So today I have a special guest, an expert guest, Dr. Jenny Johnson. Dr. Johnson is an infectious disease doctor at a distinguished hospital in Rhode Island. She's also family. She simultaneously made me feel better because she knows her stuff, but worse because she's on the front line. But before we get started, a quick live report from my bunker about the quarantine. She'll never be six feet away from me, my daughter. You introduce yourself, say who you are. Lottie, body, body, booty butt. This is Lottie, body, booty butt. And how, <laughs> how old are you? Five. Yeah. And my name is Lottie. Oh, it's just Lottie. I'm sorry. So are you in school right now? No, there's a coronavirus going around. What is the coronavirus um, making you do? What are you allowed to do and what, what are you not allowed to do? You're not allowed to... Poop. <laughs> not allowed to poop. Oh. <laughs> oh. What do you have? To, what is the coronavirus making you do? Sick. It will make you sick. And what do you have to do to not get sick?
0: Be healthy and be strong.
1: Yeah. Is there anything else? Like washing your hands.
0: Wash your hands all day and all night.
1: <laughs> what is the hardest thing for you about the coronavirus? Nothing? Nothing. Do you miss your friends? Yes. What do you wish you could do right now with your friends? Play. Yeah. How are you playing with them right now? Calling them. Mm hmm. What other, you have any other apps that you would do with them? Caribou. Mm hmm. That's it. (laughs) Caribou and FaceTime. What are you, what are you going to do when the coronavirus is over?
0: Go to my friends' houses and and go to the Rainbow Park. Oh, that sounds great.
1: I love you. I booty but you. <laughs> <laughs> and now my interview with infectious disease doctor, Dr. Jenny Johnson. Let's dive in. So what is the difference between an epidemic and a pandemic?
2: So an epidemic is basically when there's a sudden increase in number of cases of a disease. And then a pandemic is basically when an epidemic, that epidemic is spread throughout many countries and now you know, with COVID-19 you know, throughout the world coronaviruses are a group of viruses that the there's seven of them known to infect humans and the four most common ones are ones that just cause the common cold whereas what makes SARS um, SARS-CoV-2 and MERS different is that those coronavirus actually have an affinity for the lungs so they can infect the lungs and cause pneumonia and that's where you see really um, when that's when people actually get really sick.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, this is uh, very fascinating, and you're clearing up a lot of questions that I've that I've had. And because it's a very confusing time for everyone, uh, yeah. I'm sure you're on the front line right now. Can you explain what you're doing right now as a doctor?
2: Yeah. So actually, here in Rhode Island, we've been having conference calls and preparing for this since actually January, um, when it became apparent that this was not something that was going to be isolated to Wuhan, China alone. So, you know, since then, we've been talking to our Department of Health. We've been conference calling with our critical care colleagues, who are the ones who are going to be managing the sickest patients and trying to, you know, just kind of get a sense what's our capacity here in Rhode Island, um, get a plan for when the demand for care exceeds that capacity, you know, try and start to be very thoughtful about how we use our what's called PPE or personal protective equipment. That's things like, you know, face shields, masks, masks, um, gowns and gloves what we use to protect ourselves so that you know we can care for you know the sickest of the sick in the hospital so we've been doing that ever since January now as cases pick up and there's what's called active community transmission so that means that there are people in the community who are infected who have covid 19 and um, are, you know, transmitting it to other people within the community, whereas the first cases in the U.S. were imported. So there were people traveling, you know, from China um, here in Rhode Island are, are the first person diagnosed here had recently traveled from Italy. So um, but now, you know, throughout the United States, there's active community transmission. So people don't have to have traveled.
1: Uh so, okay, so I think a lot of the confusion in American households, and probably all over the world, is the confusion of the virus itself, right? Because it both acts like a cold, but also a like a deadly disease. Is that fair?
2: Yeah, so, so different people present differently, meaning they develop... So most people have mild symptoms, so that's not um, having a pneumonia or a lung infection, Well, here, let me back up. So based on what we know out of China, um, that about 40% of people there um, had mild symptoms. So that's like, you know, kind of like a cold, maybe feeling achy, having a fever, although people might not have a fever um, with mild symptoms. Then about 40% have moderate symptoms. And so that means that people you know, feel achy, they can have flu-like symptoms, and then they have pneumonia. And so that's, you know, maybe a cough. Then about 15% of people had severe infection. So that's a pneumonia maybe requiring admission to a hospital, um, monitoring of your, how well your oxygen is getting into your blood. And then about 5% were critical, um, meaning that, um, they may need support to help them breathe, either with additional oxygen or, you know, having to be on a breathing machine. People who develop these symptoms kind of earlier on, some of them went on to, you know, people with mild symptoms went on to develop severe symptoms. Like I was saying, you know, we've seen that in people who've had symptoms for about a week, you know, get worse. You know, they it goes from kind of mild to they need help breathing. And so with that, um, in the data out of China, um, about seventy seventeen 17% of people total needed what's called respiratory support. So oxygen um, help breathing, 13% needed ventilators, meaning a machine that they, to help them breathe. And so this is why um, people in the healthcare community are really worried because, you know, if millions and millions of people get sick and, you know, we kind of follow along what was seen in China, that if 13% of people in the United States get sick and require a breathing machine, we don't have the amount of machines to um, to put everybody on that and care for them. So um, that's why, you know, all of the other things that we're talking about—social distancing, canceling school, people working from home, banning large gatherings or even small gatherings—are um, all an effort to um, keep people at home, stop the chain of transmission, meaning stop people from getting sick, causing other people to get sick, yeah. um, so that the influx of patients, you know, doesn't happen all at once and. Mm-hmm. Overwhelm our healthcare system.
1: Yeah, right. Because the the healthcare system is you know you're you're well equipped to take care of sick patients, but if everybody gets sick all at once, that's when you start hearing those stories that are happening in Italy, which seems so inhumane. Uh, and I'm I'm just referencing like articles that you read that you have to choose between this person and this person who gets the equipment first. You know, risking the other person to you know, potentially die. Like, I can't imagine being in your shoes right now. And I understand, like, why, you know, do you see doctors on Instagram saying, like, please stay home?
2: (laughs) Right, exactly. I think that nobody ever wants to make that choice. Unfortunately, we're not there yet. And we're doing everything that we can, Mm -hmm. along with, you know, the departments of health, um, and state uh, governments to try and prevent that, um, that from being our reality, nobody wants to be making those decisions, you know, and unfortunately this also comes on top of, you know, a bad year for flu. That's why everyone should get their flu shot if they haven't. Mm -hmm. And in addition to kind of all the other things, you know, it's not just people who get this infection that are going to be affected. It's the people also who require, you know, medical care for other conditions, people coming in with heart attacks and people coming in with other causes of pneumonia, their care is going to suffer too because there's just not enough resources um, to take care of them if people get sick all at once. Mm -hmm. The other issue is that um, we won't have time to restock our supply of personal protective equipment. I was talking to a friend this morning and she was talking about her husband who is a physician in Chicago who He's working in the hospital, and when he's seeing these patients, he's he there's not enough eye protection, so he's not even you know. And and when you have people who are working with the sickest of the sick, or even not the sickest of the sick, but people who could potentially infect them, then and he gets sick. That's taking out a finite resource, an additional finite resource from the system. Mm-hmm. You know, he he can't then take care of patients because he potentially could you know, make other people sick. So if we have time, if we can spread out the infections, then not only we can have the ability to have more resources available and have time to produce additional resources as well.
1: Right. That's the idea of flattening the curve, right? Keeping exactly. people away from each other. Right. Uh, can you uh, talk to me a little bit about the resources? I mean, there's a lot of social media outrage, which I'm trying to stay off as much as I can because it's, um, you know, you get mi- mixed up and it's a lot of not true information that kind of gets out. Uh, can you talk about why can't the resources be restocked and also what can regular people do to help doctors?
2: So the there's a finite amount of resources and if they're all used at once and you don't have time to produce them then you run out. That's like how most things work.
1: Um Right, but I don't now, think people but- understand because our American manufacturing says, you know, with Amazon people are like, "Eugene is ordered on Amazon." Right. You know, I don't think people right. really truly understand what a finite amount of resources truly means.
2: Right. Fortunately, we, you know, for most, of, a, a lot of us, you know, we have lived, you know, in a time of plenty where it seems almost unimaginable that like we would go to a supermarket and there wouldn't be milk or there wouldn't be eggs. And that might happen for a prolonged period of time. That's like not something that has happened in this country for a lot of us where we didn't have at least the, you know, ability to purchase it. Um, right, they're
1: like Uber. And- Uber it to your lift and then um, Postmates will get you guys all masks. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, exactly. Just so no, no understanding. So please uh, enlighten.
2: <laughs> right. So at this point, you know, again, we have a finite number of masks. The demand is obviously very high. Uh, it's not just masks, but it's you know eye protection, um, gowns, and gloves. And so when the demand is high, you know resources run out quickly we also have to we're using them a lot more for people who are admitted with COVID-19 they get admitted under what's called maximum isolation precautions that means that anytime I go into a room to see someone who is either what's called being ruled out so that means that we suspect that they have it but they're and the testing is in progress or we're going to test them, but we haven't confirmed the diagnosis yet, or they've had a, a, a test that's positive. You know, I'm wearing a special mask called an N95 mask that helps prevent airborne me breathing in infections that are, you know, in the air, so airborne spread diseases. I'm also wearing a face mask that protects my eyes because the virus in the air can hit my eyes and infect me that way. I'm also wearing a gown and gloves. Um, those people are also in a special room that is a negative pressure room, meaning that they they have their often have their own, what is it called? <laughs> air supply. Um, oh,
0: wow. in the
2: air the air goes outside and that the 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 pressure in the room is negative compared to the hallway pressure so that when you open the door the air from the room doesn't go out into the hallway. The hallway air actually goes into the room, so that whatever's hanging out in the air in that room isn't then, you know, flushed out into the hallway, potentially making that space um, a space where people can get infected. So the the negative pressure rooms are limited. What we wear to protect ourselves—that personal protective equipment—is limited. And replacing it takes time, you know. Factories now, a lot of them are either closing or they're doing social distancing. I don't, I'm not, I don't know anything about the uh, specifics of the, right. the they, supply chains and everything yeah. for and the factory for producing masks. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, all of that. If you're using something all at once, it takes time to be replenished.
1: Yes. So right. So that so just so that people have a firm understanding. That, cause what what I just hear, you know, the the hearsay that I hear is like, well, we're not, well, we'll just make more, and like, it's, it's not so simple uh, if everything's happening all at once. And um, right, we can't
2: magically make more overnight. Right, and at and least so, at this
1: time. And so, what can regular people do to help doctors in terms of resources?
2: So. Not hoard them. <laughs> not hoard them. Uh, not hoard them. So if you go to your doctor's office and there's a bunch of masks, um, and they ask you if you have a cold, and you put on a mask, just take one. Um, so masks don't actually protect people um, in the general public. So one most people should be staying home first and foremost, okay. and go out only for essential items like you know food um, and medications. Wash your hands. Don't get sick. You know, avoid people who are sick. Wash your hands. Um, hand washing is actually just as good, if not better, than hand sanitizer. So if you, you know, don't be dismayed when you go out and all the hand sanitizer is um, off the shelves, because actually, hand soap, good old soap and water is um, is, is best. So avoiding getting sick, staying home. Masks are only useful if people are sick and out um, because it prevents droplets from their mouths um, going into the air and potentially affecting other people, but it doesn't really have much bearing on people not getting sick. So wearing a mask outside um, when you're not sick is not helpful. It's really hand washing, hand washing, and more hand washing.
1: (laughs) Yes. Right. We've, we've kind of seen it, but just to reiterate, wash your hands, don't touch your face, stay inside. Uh, and you know, it's funny about the masks because, uh, when, when we went to Japan, I remember seeing people with masks and this must be more, I mean, this is just in general, more, um, more of a common practice in Asia. Um, but, uh, yeah, people would wear masks. I remember asking my husband, Matt, why if, The people wear why did why were they wearing masks? Were they afraid of getting sick? But I didn't realize it was because they were sick, protecting other people. So, no, that's right. And I
2: think again, you know, because they're so limited, um, leaving them for you know the people on the front line, um, I think is so helpful.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better.
1: I can't tell you how much I mean, this just sounds like a different kind of war, basically, because the all of a sudden doctors are just being pulled out of the reserves to deal with this like virus that is like going to kill thousands of people and no one has the right equipment (laughs) and a bunch of rookies are just being thrown in in the middle of it. uh, In addition to like the best of the best, it's got to be insane.
2: (laughs) I think that there's, I mean, I think there's, anyone who says they don't have some anxiety about the uncertainty of all of this would not be telling the truth, I don't think, or not be very knowledgeable about the situation. But I think that, you know, there, again, like I was saying earlier, you know, we have been preparing for this since January. So, you know, the first case was... Uh, documented in December 2000 or December 27th of 2019. And so since the very early weeks of um, this infection, you know, doctors throughout the world, um, and I can really speak to what's been happening here, have been planning for it. So we do have, well, we don't, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. I think that, um, We definitely have plans in place. The other issue, the other thing that we're doing is that we have a number of clinical trials uh, for new medications, both new and medications that are repurposed. So, people have probably read about um, hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine, which is a medication that we use to treat a number of things, Um, but one thing in for infectious disease is it's an, it's a malaria medication. Mm-hmm. And so that's one medication that's been repurposed. Now malaria is a parasite, not a virus, mm-hmm. but it does have antiviral properties. So while it seems maybe disorganized, actually there's some amount of organization <laughs> kind of behind the scenes. So
1: yes, that's great to hear because I think it's 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 strange honestly, to hear that doctors have been preparing for this since you know December January when it feels like the government it was just like, oh crap, what? ah uh, uh, everything's fine. the stock market's great you know? <laughs> so, uh, and then it crashes, yeah, uh, so um why does do you I mean you don't have to know the answer to this, but why does it feel like no one is prepared?
2: Well, I think that there's a difference between the federal government and the state government's responses. Mm -hmm. Again, I can't speak to other states, but in Rhode Island, the state, you know, the state response has had started back in January and February. So while it wasn't something that um, people saw, it wasn't at that point sexy in the news. Um, Mm -hmm. It wasn't on our Our doorstep at that time, even though you know the suspicion was, and while we were starting to plan, then was that you know soon, uh, weeks to months, it would be on our doorstep. So again, you know, the federal response is the federal response. But
1: (laughs) how diplomatic of you, Jenny? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Why have the headlines been that there's not enough testing, and why isn't there testing? (laughs)
2: Well, uh, so the New York Times had a good article uh, about this, but the United States decided... So the the World Health Organization, or the WHO, developed a test, which is called a PCR, which basically looks for the RNA from the virus um, by doing a swab into the nose and into the mouth. And the United States decided not to... To use that test and instead develop their own test. Right. The initial one of which there were a lot of issues with, um, as again, as well publicized in the lay press. And so um, the test we have now, you know, works well. There's been supply shortages both in what's called the reagent. So mm. um, what the the mechanism that we use to run that test, mm-hmm. um, and also with the kits um, used. So like the swabs themselves or the collection, the way that we collect specimens from each patient. Now the testing, there's, now testing has expanded from, you know, initially what you could only send tests to the CDC. Then, um, then it was individual state departments of health labs. So um, for a few weeks here, we were just sending all of our tests to the department of health. Or the Department of Health themselves actually were running the tests. So here in Rhode Island, we have a number of drive-through sites that we have been running for a few weeks. Um, and also the Department of Health would send nurses to individuals' homes to collect to collect the tests that way. Um, now, fortunately, some hospital labs can run the tests and then commercial labs, labs like Viracore and Quests. Um, have their own tests as well, so testing now. You know, there's more capacity to test. It's though it doesn't. Um, there's still a limit in the testing kits, and there's a lot of confusion around billing and. Um, oh boy! So it's still an ongoing problem. So
1: I mean, like it's a it's a combination of like a real life resources and also red tape of like the, we're just watching like the government at work basically, or like insurance, yes. all that stuff. That's tough. That's tough when it, it's like so important right now. You would think that like, um, I was trying to think of a name for him or her. Mrs. testing B limited or whatever. Would, yeah. Would, would you say like, screw it. Just do everybody who cares. Like let, let's save humanity. But still people are concerned about uh, like the bottom line, which is so frustrating to hear, but not surprising. Can you tell me why testing is so important? I know that's such a basic question. Well, so it's important kind
2: of on the uh, multiple scales. So just on kind of the from the public health domain, it's important so that we kind of understand what's going on in the community, how the virus is circulating, so that we're able to kind of do what's called contract tracing, isolate people. Um, we can also characterize the full spectrum of illness uh, because we know that you know people are able to infect other people, even with milder, very minimal, or even no symptoms very early on. Um, So that's important from a public health standpoint. Obviously, from a standpoint of knowing how to manage people, if the flu, bad flu and coronavirus uh, look similar clinically, now the flu, so the coronavirus is actually more contagious and has a higher case fatality rate than the flu. So I don't want to compare them, kind of in the broad sense. But clinically, you know, they both can cause severe pneumonias, um, requiring people to be um, on breathing machines, and they're treated differently. So with people with coronavirus who need a, you know, who need extra respiratory support, so they need extra oxygen or they need to be on a breathing machine, we know that certain ways that we give people oxygen actually can put the virus into the air and actually cause worse outcomes, meaning more people died when they had certain breathing treatments. Our threshold to put people on breathing machines with coronavirus are actually a lot lower than for other um, conditions. So just even management-wise, we do things differently. You know, there's treatments for the flu. Um, there's other treatments that were, you know, we don't really have a lot of evidence yet, but that's all being collected, you know, for coronavirus. So the management is different. Um, the way that we protect our, um, hospital staff is
1: different. Wow. And then can we talk about why, why this disease, there's, there's a couple things I want to do. Let's start with the bad news first. <laughs> why is this so scary? Meaning, can you talk about the spread of the disease, and who is spreading it?
2: Yeah, so it's it's scary for a number of reasons. One, um, COVID nineteen is very infectious. So um, for every contagious infectious disease, so not all infections are contagious between people. But COVID-19 is transmitted person to person, generally by droplets. So that's people coughing, sneezing, even talking, and then you breathing that in or getting into your uh, mouth or, you know, into your eyes. Um, You can also pick it up from surfaces. So it's known to live on different surfaces for different amounts of time. So you can, you know, touch a doorknob that someone with the infection just touched and then touch your face and then get it that way. So, it's somebody was contagious. talking
1: about how copper gloves don't, it doesn't live on copper. And I was like, we've gone on the, the deep end.
2: <laughs> right. So, they just tested it on a number of different surfaces. And uh-huh. so, copper was the one that it lived the shortest amount of time but on. It so, that's still where that
1: comes from. I just want everyone, anyone yeah. out there buying copper gloves right now, it can still live on this, <laughs> it can still live on copper. Okay. Yeah. The main thing is wash your hands and don't touch your
2: face. That's like how you kind of get around it, not not wearing copper gloves. But for, you know, any contagious infectious disease that's transmitted person to person, there's something called a basic reproduction number or... And basically what that is, or are not, basically what that is, is for every person who's infected that is in a community where there's no immunity. So... So nobody is immune to this new coronavirus. This didn't exist in humans before December of 2019. Um, How many people can that one person infect? And so, you know, this is why measles is such a big issue is because measles is the most infectious infection um, known to humankind. One person in an unvaccinated, non-immune community can infect, you know, 12 to 18 people. Just one person. Um, Right.
1: Which multiply, multiply, multiply.
2: Exactly. And then, you know, COVID-19, not thought to be, you know, around three or so. This is gets tricky with how we determine this. But um, so it's about, about three. And then um, there are people, you know, certain infections have what's called super spreaders. So for some reason, there are people out in the community or wherever in certain populations that, that that number that one person spreading it to three people it they can spread it actually to a lot more people and that's been shown actually with covid-19 again reemphasizing there are the important s- superspreaders so yep so for certain infections there are people who for some reason they are are able to spread it to more people um and so again this is why you know staying home uh, canceling schools things like that are so important. Right,
1: cuz what if you're um, a super spreader? Oh my god. Right exactly. That's awful.
2: <laughs> Stay home people.
1: <laughs> right, so these super spreaders can for whatever reason like in general it's every 3 people it can, they can spread to 3 people, which is not good news. Um but they could do they could basically be the measles of COVID-19.
2: Right, and you can see this in like certain outbreaks where there's you know there's one case and then all of a sudden there's a hundred so
1: whoa not that that's all just from that one person but right right it's just um, like so so yeah. so can you just tell me okay like uh, so one in three sounds maybe kind of small but we're talking about an unvaccinated uh a non-immune community because we don't have a vaccination and everybody can get sick from it why why is that such a startling number to doctors. And maybe it sounds small to people. Can you put it in perspective? Well, that means that one person
2: just in kind of a very short period of time, you know, can infect three people. Those three people affect three people each. So that's one to nine just in, you know, a a few days to weeks. Um, And then obviously you can multiply that even more. In order to stop a pandemic or an epidemic, that number, that basic reproduction number are not, has to be less than one. So, you know, to take it from three to less than one is a huge feat and takes a lot of time. And so that's why that's so concerning. And again, you know, when something so contagious causes 17% of the people who get it to need extra respiratory support, 13% of those, you know, of people who get it to require, you know, a breathing machine to breathe through them. um, That's so scary.
1: Right. So anyone, like anyone who's heard the, the statistics and data from China that young people, it doesn't affect, like kill young people. Uh, I mean, it's not, it doesn't, bode well for your health. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be on a respirator or be in the ICU. Yeah. You know, so just because those statistics are that. So is there any kind of I mean, the, the reason I wanted to, to talk to you is because I really wanted to get kind of weed through all of the the headlines, I guess, of everything and just kind of talk to you about the, the brass tacks and the facts, you know, because uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I I must say though, it is still, it's very sobering because it it just really showcases how important it is to, um, stay inside. Um, Mm -hmm. and I guess my, my like message to parents out there and people on social media is like, it's yeah, yes, you can absolutely be enraged by people on spring break and, but there's the, the, The frustration and the anxiety is doing you no favors because we can't be out there like dragging kids (laughs) back home. It has to be like the government uh, stepping in and making like taking it seriously so that we can protect other people. Uh, Is there any, 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 um, anything that, uh, when is this going to end? Not for a long time. What does that (laughs) mean exactly? Unfortunately.
2: So I don't know, and I don't think anyone knows. Um, So I think, you know, now in a number of Asian countries, you're seeing a resurgence of cases. So, um, and those are mostly imported cases. And that largely has to do with, you know, they did a really good job of getting people to stay home and um, keeping the number of infections to a minimum, but they still have a largely... A non-immune population, and so anytime you have a non-immune population, you know you're you're still susceptible to infection coming back in. So, I think, you know, waiting for a vaccine is going to take a long time, um, and you know, slowing down the number of cases means that there's a lot of people who aren't getting it, so they're not going to develop immunity. The other issue is that we don't know how protective having had COVID-19 is for getting it again. Um, so we don't know if if you've had the infection um, are do you develop protective antibodies so that if you get re-exposed to it, um, you know, can you do you not develop that infection again or can you get sick again? Um, these are all things that we don't know. Um, and because of that, um, because we don't have a vaccine, and because we don't have large population-based immunity that we, uh, this could last for months, many months.
1: Right. So in Asia, it, last, like the, it was about three months when we started to see it kind of um, start to look positive, but now the resurgence is coming back. So like three months, but then it could be six months, which if people don't stay inside could be a year and a half. Is that a fair assumption? <laughs>
2: Right. I mean, it could be, if people don't stay inside, it actually, you know, people are going to get sick all of a sudden. But I think, you know, again, I don't know, but I would anticipate many months.
1: I mean, I wouldn't expect you to know. I'm just like, does anybody yeah. know anything?
2: <laughs> and, and, <laughs> no, no, I mean, this is all new, right? This, yeah. You know, the first case was like less than three months ago. I feel like the world has completely changed then, you know, every day feels like a year here, um, and brings new information and a new reality almost. Um,
1: absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it feels very, uh, you know, discouraging, but I guess, I guess. The, the important thing to keep in mind is that, you know, a, a lot of what we talk about in this podcast is community and how communities can help each other. And I think this is an example of just being neighborly, obviously not talking to your neighbor right now, but, but, you know, considering the health and well being of others is important because you, we are related. You are on the front lines. My mother-in-law is on the front lines. My brother is a UPS truck driver. My sister works for the government. My my stepdad works for the government. Like these are people that are essential employees, and I can't believe how many I'm related to. Um, <laughs> yeah. And they're the people that are going to uh, be in contact with it the the most. And uh, you know, as as normal citizens no longer Hollywood star, Kimmy Gatewood, (laughs) as a concerned citizen. (laughs) Um, I think it's important to just step outside of yourself and see, like, okay, if I just stay inside, wash my hands, don't touch my face, and uh, have Zoom happy hours, that might save a life, you know? Yeah, I mean, the thing is that, like, as, you know, inconvenient and
2: as, like, truly, you know, socially isolating as it can be to stay inside, we are in, we we can stay, we're so fortunate that we can stay connected mm-hmm. um, or by FaceTiming or um, even using the phone. And we have access to a lot of information. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of mis- and disinformation out there. Um, so I would encourage people mainly to get their information from like sites like the CDC and their local departments of health, um, which generally have the most up-to-date information. But, um, you know, I, I feel fortunate in that, like, even though I can't, travel to Pennsylvania or travel to L.A. that I can at least get on the phone or on FaceTime or on Skype and, you know, see Lottie's face and get pictures of her making her slime, uh, (laughs) glitter slime, and things like that. And that way, even though we're far away, uh, we can still stay connected. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think focusing on, like, what we still have rather than, like, I can't go out and get, like, you know – such and such, or like go to my favorite restaurants, you know, eventually we will get back to that place of normalcy and um, be able to do those things. And again, I don't know when, but you know, we are fortunate to kind of have the connections that we do have, even if they're not uh, physical at the moment.
1: Yes. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. And I would also just encourage everyone to worry about their you know mental well-being and don't spend a ton of money on the online just yet because uh, the economic worries are coming, but for right now let's save humanity and then um so that our money can actually buy things. Yeah <laughs> one thing at a time, humanity first, my extra moisturizing facial lotion, maybe it next year. yeah (laughs) well stay safe jenny thank you so much for spending this time talking to me and and the listeners and i'm sure that there will be some follow-up questions when this episode comes up so maybe we can be in touch um even just over email or something with any follow-up questions thank you dr johnson and thank you to all the nurses and healthcare providers on the front lines I would also like to give a shout out to the grocery store employees, delivery folks, postal workers, pharmacists, police, fire, nursing home workers, home health aides, custodial staff, basically all the people keeping our country functioning. Please check out the CDC website for updated information. Remember to check in with your neighbors at six feet away and call your mom, extended family and friends to make sure everyone is doing okay. Allow yourself at least one hour a day to forget the news, though, as parents, (laughs) who really has time to read anyway? Life has been put on pause, but I'm here for you. And thanks for listening. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Jenny Johnson. She has helped me process the science of what is happening and not completely freak out. Please reach out to me through our website, motherofallshows.com, if you have any questions, thoughts, or topics you'd like to hear. We are also all over social media at m o a s pod. This podcast is produced by Jen Perilini, written by Rebecca Johnson, music by Jerome Kertenbach, and edited by Amanda Lund and Tracy Levy. I am proud to be a part of the Earless Network. Please subscribe and rate of other shows on Apple, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen. It would really help us out. We also have links and topics to resources we discussed today on our website. See you for the next one. Wash your hands. And I know times are tough out there right now, but just remember, I booty butt you.